Ghosts are horny. Spooky. Revisiting female violence. <laughs> that could be any of these episodes. I, I hate to bring up bugs. <laughs> Once again, I have to bring up bugs. Six quick and easy steps for your common demon summoning. I accept this headcanon. Liberal propaganda. Damn cucks. This is a John Winchester hate zone. Could have had mm-hmm. Killer Optimus Prime and he had to be racist. To be fucking racist. Persqueeter. <laughs> Hi and welcome to On the Road with Supernatural, the podcast where we watch and discuss Supernatural episode to episode from the beginning. I'm Jasper Graydon. I'm Jordan Graham. And I'm Allie. And we'll be your hosts for this Monster of the Week journey through American folklore and Christian mythology. All right. So a huge feature of this episode's joke repertoire is Dean's psychedelic history. Like every other thing out of his mouth is some joke about acid trips, it feels like. (laughs) So I thought we could talk about our experiences with those things and or more on the or for time's sake, weird Uh, dreams that we've had that we can recall but you know particularly stuck out in our memory so i'm doing like a weirder take on my story because it's not technically about a time i did a psychedelic but it was actually the first time i ever smoked weed oh i love this i want to say i was in high school because i was working at subway at the time which i worked at for like gosh like almost nine years Uh Mm uh-huh And me and my friend were trying to smoke weed. And so, of course, the first person we ask is any of the employees at a subway, because, of course, yeah, I was going to say I was going to say that's like very on brand. Yeah. And the guy who I was working with at the time, who was, of course, also a weed dealer, I'm pretty sure he used that subway as a point in contact for dealing weed because it was in the middle of nowhere. But he was like, hey, I don't have enough weed to sell right now. But if you want to smoke weed, you and your friend can come on a car ride with me. Of course, he was like in his 40s. So me and my friend who was like 17 should not have been in a car with this man. Right. (laughs) No, definitely not. So we were in the car and I had never smoked weed before. And I like took a really big hit of this joint. Like <laughs> I was high out of my mind. Uh huh. And we were just driving down the sa- the back roads of this town that we were near that just was all farmland. And I was like, when is this going to kick in? Like I couldn't re- tell how high I was, even though my body was melting. And then we were driving down the road and I guess like a dairy farm had its gate broken and there was i'm not kidding just hundreds of cows out in the middle of the road surrounding us as far as the eye could see oh wow and i was like is this what being high is like and like we were like are these cows real oh my gosh like Um, honestly why is it that the weirdest things seem to happen when you're not in your right mind (laughs) Mm -hmm. i don't even mean like you're not processing things correctly i mean just like weird shit seems to be attracted to people who are already high it's like the universe knows what about you Allie? So I have never done psychedelics and nor do I plan to. I like control too much and that gives me anxiety. But I do have a lot of weird dreams and one that's been recurring. So one of my really good friends growing up, we were obsessed with the idea of doppelgangers. And like, how would you know your doppelgangers coming for you? 
So throughout my life, I have had recurring dreams where my doppelganger is chasing me, but I'm not like who I am. Like one, I was this like middle-aged man who looked like Owen Wilson. And so basically another Owen Wilson is just chasing me through town to try to murder me. And each time I have this dream, I'm a different person who like looks completely different, different age, background, everything. But always I have a doppelganger out to murder me. That is really strange. I I don't mean the doppelganger part, but like the Owen Wilson-ness of it all. Yeah, it's weird that I'm not myself and that's a regular thing. But I don't get paid enough to unpack that. So (laughs) I'll just keep up with these dreams. Jasper, what about you? Yeah, so my early 20s were very eventful in terms (laughs) of stupid things I did with drugs. I had a lot of cash on hand because I was a pizza delivery driver. And much like Jordan's experience of Subway being, for some reason, just the perfect place to know people who sell weed, Papa John's turns out to be the perfect place to know people who sell basically anything you can think of. (laughs) So I had the ability to acquire a lot of different things. And uh, one of my favorite experiences to talk about is one time when I did mushrooms with a friend group and we were running around just like fucking tripping balls on OSU campus at like two in the morning or something. And like the sprinklers were on because it was the middle of the summer. And we were just like running around splashing in puddles and picking up the sprinklers and spraying them at each other and yelling shroom busy bay (laughs) and all sorts of stupid crap. It was, it was, what were you yelling? You know, like Zoom Beezy Bay, like the water park, but Shroom Beezy Bay because we were on mushrooms. That's amazing. (laughs) I know. We're hilarious even when we're not sober. It is incredible, is it not? I think this was before Jordan had even moved into the city. Before I keep rambling on forever about stupid drug stories, let's talk about the episode. Today's episode is season three, episode 10, Dream a Little Dream of Me, the one somewhere in dreamland. This episode was written by Sarah Gamble and Catherine Humphreys, directed by Steve Boyum, and originally aired on February 7th, 2008. How did y'all feel about our Bobby opening? There's something very like Twin Peaks to me about a lot of aspects of this episode, but like the glitchy screaming ghost thing is very fun, especially because like we go from what looks like a typical haunted house type cold open into like, oh, he's trapped in his own mind. And I just, I just like it. And I love to see Bobby's face. So I love it so much and I love the horror of having a maid discover him because you know they see so much stuff but also like that's not only horror for Bobby not being able to wake up but then like secondhand trauma of her not knowing what to do with this man who won't move yeah oh my god and like is she gonna be okay at her job and like the next day she's probably gonna be worrying about finding people dead in their bed too poor little lady the rest of her life every time she opens a door I do have to say, though, I was a little annoyed that I think this is the second Asian person we've gotten in this entire series. And the first was also a maid, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. That was in season two, episode eight, Crossroads, right? She was the um, dentist's maid and she didn't have a name. That's a big issue. 
and I think we say this like every other episode at this point, but it all just comes back to like when you don't have reasonable, I don't want to say normal, but like any role played by people with diverse backgrounds when you only have a few and there are issues because if we had Asian characters throughout the show, it would provide some balance. Like this still would be problematic, but mm-hmm. at least there would be some other representation. This is the only representation. So not mm-hmm. only is it problematic, but it's like glaringly so. Right, exactly. I will say with this whole intro, it's very snappy. And I think the episode is kind of like this in at least the first half. Like we're Mm. moving, baby. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not messing around. And I love this hotel room. And I'm really interested in how much effort is put into like the design of it. I think this episode in particular, there's a lot of really strong work and intention put into like the set designs, especially like with regards to color and like symbols and things. There's just something so appealing of the contrast of it right away between Bobby's dream, which is very like washed out and dark and then bringing it into this very like vibrant and richly colored space is I just really like it. I like to look at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So next we move into the bar scene and we see Sam drinking whiskey at supposedly like 2 p.m. Yeah. I I love that he's like poor little baby. He's riding this. I'm being like Dean train all the way into day drinking town. <laughs> I think coming off the the heels of the previous episode where he was literally like, I need to be more like you. It's like extra sad. Yeah, it's just like again, we've talked about it before, but a lot of his like trying to be more like Dean or taking on these kind of like negative things yeah it's just it's a little frustrating yeah it's like the negative influence of Dean's poor coping mechanisms I think Sam doesn't really have very good coping mechanisms of his own either like mostly he just throws himself into work but yeah it's unfortunate I agree with you he's like oh Dean is a day drinker dean hits on random women dean savagely stabs people <laughs> <laughs> gotta be more like my brother dean <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah it's just like a little frustrating because it's a little it gives me a little bit of the vibe of like sam being like my shit don't stink there's just something with the way sam's character was written in this episode that kind of just rubs me the wrong way a few times. And I uh-huh. think this scene is one of them. And I yeah. don't, I like Sam as a character. I even like how Jared Padalecki portrays him. It's just sometimes in this season in particular, he's so inconsistently written. It's weird. Yeah, I agree. I think this is an episode that's strikingly indicative of that inconsistency, especially with regards to, and I'm sure we'll just come back to it later, so let's not worry about it now, but like yeah. the, the Ruby's sex dream, or not Ruby, the Bella sex yes, dream. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I know what you mean about him rubbing you kind of the wrong way. I I feel bad for him here because he's so like hangdog sad. And I think, like, you know, it's fair of him to be like, how can you care so little about yourself? Like, 
I yeah. understand that line of questioning. When I get annoyed is when he's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, girl, no, you didn't. Like, that's rude. Well, it's kind of like we have Sam like be rude, like be kind of an idiot because Sam's character is taking a back seat and they're literally using Sam as a vehicle to push Dean along. And they do this so much sometimes that it really does make Dean shine. But sometimes it is at the detriment of Sam. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, You get the sense through a lot of this short arc that Sam doesn't get what's going on with Dean very well. Yeah. Or that he just doesn't understand him very well as a person. And I think that's kind of, that undermines a lot of what other narrative elements are trying to tell us about their relationship, which is that they know us, they know each other very well. Yeah. Like in uh, the previous episode, or was it the previous episode? I forget which one it was, but Sam was like, this is exactly how you act when you're really scared. Like, I know you like all this stuff. And I'm like, well, do you know him? that well if you're gonna to his face be like what's wrong with you like I don't know (laughs) maybe I'm just taking it kind of personally because I um definitely project some stuff on Dean as a character very similar life experiences to me when it comes to things not the supernatural nature so I'm like what do you mean what's wrong with me you fucking asshole (laughs) but um yeah, I don't know. It's a complicated scene. Yeah, I agree. And I and I don't begrudge Sam too for showing his frustration. I think that's very fair and valid. I just yeah. wish it was written slightly more nuanced. Yeah. I th- I think um part of the reason it's so harsh here and blunt is because he's supposed to be drunk. Yeah. He doesn't seem drunk to me. He just seems emotional though. <laughs> yeah. So it's like kind of odd. I'm also really interested in this moment, like just in terms of narrative timing, uh, you know, we closed on that scene in the previous episode of Ruby and Dean talking to each other and Ruby being like, yeah, I don't know shit about how to help you out. That was a lie. And then Sam is during this, this scene, like I'm starting to feel like Ruby doesn't know how to help you after all. And Dean's just like, yep, ha ha. Like, <laughs> I just, I feel kind of bad for Sam here too, because this would have been the perfect moment if Dean really wants Sam to stop pestering him about all this, to disabuse him of the notion that Ruby knows how to help him. And also I think to like sort of help Sam see Ruby a little more clearly, just to be like, hey, uh, she told me actually that that was fake. Um, But then he just doesn't do it. Like he just doesn't say anything. I, and I, I wonder, like, why he chose not to do that here. I, the reason I think that is, is because of how this episode ends, which I'm not going to get into too much yet. But yeah. at this point, Dean has not accepted, like, that he wants to live. And right. if he is honest with Sam and Sam knows the secret, then he knows that that means Sam is going to probably try extra hard. And I think Dean just kind of more wants Sam to forget about it. Yeah. So I think that is, at least in my head, why. That's an interesting take. My takeaway from it was that maybe Dean is trying to let Sam have his hope that there's something to do. He just doesn't really want to crush his spirit more than this already has. Yeah. But yeah, it is, it is a little nebulous. But of course, as always, 
in the show, something interrupts them in the middle of their little public (laughs) heart to heart. Dean gets a phone call summoning them to Pittsburgh because Bobby is in a coma. I love that Dean is his emergency contact. Yes, but it's under like a fake name. What is what was it like Snyderson or something? Yeah, it's under a fake name, but you know Dean's the favorite by far. I love the Dean Bobby relationship. I don't know. I don't know if I think there is that much evidence to say that Dean is Bobby's favorite, but okay. <laughs> Oh, I am fully convinced. But I also think it's partially because, like Jordan was saying, like the show does not set Sam up to be the same level of main character. Yeah. And part of that, I think, is likely due to the little brotherisms that are jammed Mm -hmm. down our throat and into our eyeballs consistently. You know, the amount of times we're meant to look at him as a younger brother and someone that needs to be like protected or helped out of bad situations, Um, you know, whether or not they're day drinking type things or literally a super demon picked (laughs) you as its favorite (laughs) special child. Yeah, 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 exactly. And like you were picked as a soldier, like you weren't even picked for your personality. I'm sorry, Sam. Oh, poor Sam. Yeah, at least at this point in the narrative, I have hope. Early prediction, guys. I have hope. They're really going to start putting more effort into Sam. I love this prediction. Yeah. Good prediction. What is with this show and like bad doctor dialogue? Yeah. Like every single doctor is like super flippant and like (laughs) just really callous. I feel so bad for them every time they have to talk to one of these schmucks. Yeah, I would say it's because of like, like misogyny and like people think they need to coddle women. So it's like, oh, it's two like big men. They don't have they, the doctor feels like they don't have to sugarcoat it. But I feel like even when talking to women, doctors, police, anyone who needs like some sort of bedside manner does not have it in this show whatsoever. Yeah. Well, I mean, the bedside manner that I expect from most doctors is more one of like neutrality. Yeah. Like I just, I, what I would expect if I were them going into this situation, I would expect the doctor to tell me what they've tested for, what they hope to test for, and what the current treatment plan is in the meantime, without speculating or like making any kind of weird remarks. I don't know. Like the guy is just so unhelpful. Like he doesn't tell them anything. And and I get that like, this is like a 40 minute program. They don't want to spend a lot of time on doctor dialogue. Like, sure. But this this for me is sort of like a suspension of disbelief thing. I'm like in a fantasy series, which I consider this, in order for you to be able to suspend your disbelief successfully for the fantasy elements, the realism, like the real world elements have to be that much more solid. And like, I don't, I don't want to be like popped out of my immersion in the narrative because the doctor is like, I don't know. He just fell asleep and didn't wake up. What are you going to (laughs) do? You know? Yeah, I agree. I know I'm talking about it a lot, but it's mostly, it's like not even that big a deal to me in the grand scheme of the episode. I'm just, it's just like a pet peeve. 
And so after they have those really strange doctors, that's when they figure they're going to go back and look at the hotel room, right? Yeah. I was kind of confused by the scene because I'm like, well, I'm like, it's not like a um, crime scene or anything like that. They may not clean this room and unpack it. Maybe this just happened and he's still paid in for the day. But it seems weird that the hotel would not send his clothes with him. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was odd, too. Yeah. And then Bobby, I don't know why he would put this whole collage on the wall. Again, it's a suspension of disbelief type thing that I'm trying not to nitpick, but well, it's okay. Hard. Here's here's what I'm thinking about. There's a lot about fatherhood going on in this episode, and if you think back to the pilot when they're looking for John and they go into his abandoned motel room, he has all the shit all over the wall, and like the cops have looked at it and all this stuff, and they're like, "Yeah, this guy is fucking crazy." I think this is meant to sort of like contrast that a little bit. Bobby is a little more careful about where he has his little supernatural, you know, uh, conspiracy pin board located. <laughs> I think I think that was the whole thing. It's just it's in the closet on the wall because he's got to have it up to look at it. But he doesn't want people coming in and being like, the fuck is this guy doing? It shows like how skilled Bobby is as a hunter and like how planned he is. But also um, they wouldn't just pack up his stuff. It depends how long he had paid for. But I'm assuming they called an ambulance like they're just taking him. They wouldn't necessarily like take all his stuff immediately, especially if he had it checked out or had paid for in advance. Yeah, I think it's highly likely that they would just wait for emergency contact to show up and then be like, this is where he was staying if you want to grab his stuff. That makes sense to me. Since they're back in the hotel room again, I love this hotel room. Like the rich colors of it really appeal to me with like the deep navy blue and the teal and the greens and the yellows and stuff and how everything actually like looks nice for once. Although I got to say like a print wallpaper was pretty wild in 2008. Like that's starting to be popular again now, but I'm looking at that and being like, wow, really? But actually what really interests me about this is like the animals and the framed paintings. First off, the framed paintings look exactly like uh, settings from each dream. Like there's a road down a dark forest um, and that's hanging right above the bed. And it does look like where Dean falls asleep towards the end of the episode. And the other one looks like a kitchen scene, kind of uh, like a domestic, but they're both very like dark and creepy up against this wall. That's very like vibrant with the like crane print i love the cranes and the peacocks i am taking it seriously like they were put there on purpose to mean something because of how many different images of cranes there are and how often the peacock image is centered in a shot or like very prominent at least but they're both birds obviously and birds are images of like souls and like messages from the underworld or the gods or like things like that. So it like really falls in line with this idea of like um, a dream world as like a liminal space and like traveling between realities and things like that. Like that just really tracks, but both of them can be considered like luck symbols of luck peacocks in particular, like all of the eyes um, can indicate dreams and visions 
And interestingly, also sexuality is a part of the peacock, probably, you know, familiar with the idiom peacocking and things like Mm -hmm. that. Cranes are all about balance and patience. But what I thought was really funny was that, so we have the peacock, which is like this big, like sexual symbol, uh, particularly masculinity. And then um, the cranes pop up and they're heavily associated with rainbows. (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I'm like, gay symbolism hidden in the subtext. Wow, that's they're doing their research for sure. Yeah, well, and then like when you put that next to the fact that all three of the men's dreams in this had something to do with romance or sexuality, I am looking at it again like, hmm. (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Well, and so peacocks were also used at like the opening of some catacombs. So it's kind of the bridging between like life and death. And also they were a sign of like ill omen. It was either (laughs) ill omens or good luck, depending. Um, So it's kind of like flip of the coin. And yeah, there's in the like 19th century. So 1800s Italy, peacocks became known for as like leading the devil into paradise which i think means a lot in terms of the dreams here because these dreams are what they want them to be especially where you see dean enter his dream and like the relationship he hopes for or wishes he could have but then everything turns bad so it's kind of that ambiguity yeah totally cranes too can be good or bad luck which i thought was interesting And peacocks are specifically associated with Hera. So if we're going like further back in history, it's not even just sexuality, but the idea of partnership and marriage, which I think is even more tied into the dream worlds here because it's not just like love interests they're seeing. It's specifically the stable relationships that they want and Bobby's wife, but then Dean's dream of what his relationship could be like of course she's beautiful sitting on like the picnic blanket but I think it's a lot more about the stability and partnership of relationships definitely 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 and while we're talking about like the the luck and the sort of ambiguity of that something else I thought was interesting is that the shirt that Jeremy is wearing has an ace of spades on it which is also a symbol of either good or bad luck and is also directly associated with death. So I thought that was cool. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that bit was intentional, but considering the fact that like the, there was no way the birds weren't intentional, I oh, absolutely. had to consider the, the idea that the shirt was too. Kind of wish that level of detail would really continue on into other episodes and I'm sure it will. Yeah, I think it was just like especially important that set and costume were especially set, though, were just perfectly rich with meaning because of the nature of like the topic of the episode, like writing about dreams is all about packing in as much dual meaning and purpose as you possibly can. Because I mean, not that all dreams are like that. Obviously some dreams are just like stupid. Like I've had dreams where I'm like mad because I can't get, you know, some burnt stuff to come off of a pan. But you also have dreams that are just very like, obviously this is my brain using the symbols that I know to parse out stuff that I'm trying to deal with in my day to day. 
it makes me really appreciate the other elements of, you know, what goes into making an episode of TV, not just the writing itself or the acting or anything like that, but the physical details as well. I actually do have a few notes about costume and such, speaking of, other than Jeremy's shirt, if you guys are interested to hear about yeah, the fashion. I absolutely want to know about the fashion. So Jeremy, I thought was fun because like there's this whole idea of like druggy culture and they keep referring to him as like a stoner. Dean calls him fish or whatever, but he does have like, you know, the oversized hoodie, the layered necklaces and the kind of like graphic tee type shirt um, that we would have associated with that in in the early 2000s and specifically I was really reminded of the way that Andy's costumes were put together in season two which I thought was cool fun side note they did also put posters for No Valero and the new pornographers in his dorm room both of which are sort of like um indie mod revival bands and you know, mod stuff was popular around the same time that like psychedelia as an aesthetic was popular. So I thought that was a fun little detail as well. And then on top of that, Sam, for once, I am loving his his look. Like his hair is super cute this episode for some reason, just like randomly, like he's just having a good hair day. And they put him in this like Sherpa lined brown corduroy jacket that yeah. I absolutely want to steal. I'm like, give it to me <laughs> immediately. And the last thing I wanted to talk about, or like on a, in a positive way, is the lab assistant, because I was just so like tickled by her like bump it and side bangs <laughs> combo. Yeah. I was like, every girl I knew that year had had that just perfect. Bobby's wife her ghost was obviously like that same woman in white thing that we've come to hate (laughs) over time. But I actually didn't mind it this time because like the whole idea of his dream is that he blames himself for her death. And like, she's a revenge ghost in his dream. And like the idea of the woman in white is so ingrained in his unconscious because of being a hunter and like all the ghost stuff that he knows about. So it, it like makes sense, I think, for him to um, recreate her looking like that in his um, unconscious. I also really noted Sam's outfits in this episode as well. I actually really liked that he wasn't styled so similarly to Dean because they are so different when it comes to their personality. Yeah. Sometimes I wish the show had stretched itself and made them look so different. Right. Um, But to be fair, like everyone kind of dresses like Ruby and Bella both kind of can dress really similarly to Dean and Sam as well. And yeah, a lot of the people they meet. So it's just like a stylistic choice of the show, which I can't blame them for. Right. Yeah. Well, and like it didn't help that fashion at the time was just not good. No, it was so bad. <laughs> like It was just really bad. Like, I don't even know what to say. Like everything looked like garbage. But I I do wish they had leaned a little more into like some of the prep stuff. Like in season two, um, we saw Sam in like polos every now and again and things like that. And I do miss like his very weird, very loved purple dog shirt. I don't know what was going on with that, but it was a vibe and I miss it. I would have liked a Sam like more varsity wear and stuff like that, I think would be really cool. Yeah. 
but they didn't they decided just not to lean into that at all no i think like as the series goes on you can sort of see where the design is a little different but it tends to mostly be in um what texture of jacket they wear and like what colors they choose Mm. to wear and I think like in this season in particular Dean wears like that blue jacket a lot and he always pops his color collar um Sam just tends to wear things that are very very big (laughs) that's through like the main difference and button downs always with the button downs with those horrible pearl snap buttons obviously they're not like actual pearl but like you know like the the pearly plastic looking things you know what i mean oh i know exactly what you're talking about like they, yeah. yeah and they're like not actually buttons they're snaps so i guess to get back to the story when they're looking through the research is when they find out that bobby was looking at a doctor who is researching or conducting sleep studies so it seems like a good first lead and of course the division of labor goes dean goes to talk to people sam does some research because <laughs> that's the formula baby yep the scene with the assistant was kind of fun i actually thought it went on like a little too long for my liking but i kind of like getting to see how dean operates like he goes in with a plan and then Mm -hmm. if that plan doesn't work how he then shifts and readjusts he's very i was gonna say versatile but i think i've learned he's a bottom from twitter so (laughs) oh my lord I like in this how they deal with the idea that like they're asking the same people multiple times. I'm glad they don't just pass over that and kind of add stakes because like who would want to talk to another detective yet again? I also like how smoothly it moves into finding the guy who was in the study as well. I feel like although the first scene goes on a little bit too long, um, it kind of smoothly transitions into finding our next guy. Yeah, Jeremy. Okay, also, is it just me or is this guy like weirdly handsome for like a random one off character in an episode of Supernatural? I genuinely have no clue what he looks like. I don't remember at all. (laughs) I felt like there's something about his eyes. Like he's very magnetic. Yeah, he's very striking looking. He has a very big, heavy jaw, too. Yeah, and the facial hair adds to it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I was like amazed. I was like, wow, like that's weird. It also really struck me when they introduced this character that like he looks like a real adult and Dean who's posing as like a detective looks absolutely as tiny as can be. Like he looks like such a baby in his little FBI agent outfit. Yeah. I'm just like, how does anyone ever take him seriously? Little munchkin. I always love seeing them in their big suits. It makes me giggle. Just got to pinch their little cheeks. <laughs> I'm also really charmed by the fact that the only reason they decide to dreamwalk is because like it's Bobby that they're helping out. And like there's pretty there's an understanding that if it had just been some jabroni, like there's no way they would risk it. It's just so sweet. That's their dad. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. <laughs> Yeah, I like that that's what kind of motivates them. I want to talk a little about dreamwalking and this African dream route. I would love to hear about that because we know how this show loves to be like, ooh, spooky black people magic, but then not actually give us any information about it. 
Yeah, I was so torn. I'm like, you know, I would love if they actually like found sources. But then I remember when they talked to that one um, person on the reservation, like they went, I think they went to a reservation and it was just more offensive than I imagined. So I'm not sure if it would have been better. But dreamwalking is a thing. It's not. So there's a difference. There are shared dreams, but dreamwalking is specifically when before you enter a dream, you set the intention of going into that person's dream. And it's like kind of like a mix between astral projection and lucid dreaming. However, some websites say your soul doesn't leave your body during this. Um, I would like to say, how do we know that? Be careful. Yeah. How, how do they know that? That's a good question. (laughs) Yeah. So like be cautious. And then I also found there are guidelines for doing it. I don't recommend this or astral projection. Like, please be safe. If you are going to enter someone else's dream, first of all, got to get permission from them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Consent. Very important. And not just get permission, but then check your own motive. So think about why you actually want to go in this person's dream. Is it a healthy reason for both you and them? And if not, stop right there. Next, you have to make sure the person you're entering their dream, they're in a good state of mind. Like Bobby is definitely not in this case. So be careful. Um, It said like things like depression, anxiety, or also just dealing with trauma. So no one can ever enter my dreams. Oh my God, Allie. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the depression and anxiety alone, like how much of the population does that cut out? Right, right. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, Don't come wandering into mine either. And also the last step, which I thought was so interesting, you're supposed to have an anchor. So the person dreaming um, is supposed to be the one who's like monitoring the reality of the dream and is able to end the dream. So just don't go in and not know how you're getting out. Yeah. Exit plan. Exit plan. Mm -hmm. Seems important. (laughs) And this is similar to dream telepathy, which is communicating with someone who is dreaming while one person is not a little different. But I do want to say that this, like everything goes back to Freud. He was really interested in dream telepathy and the idea that we could communicate with someone who is in a dream state while the other person is awake. But of course, Freud is both problematic and wrong in a lot of cases. So if you do this, be careful. Just take a lot of steps to protect yourself. As for the African dream route, this is a real thing. The scientific term is the Selene undulata. And this is a route that's native to the Eastern Cape of South Africa. It's used by the FOSA people. It's spelled X-H-O-S-A. And this is something that shaman would use to create lucid dreams and also um, prophetic dreams where people would communicate with their ancestors. And it could also be used to help when someone is in a bad mental state to kind of connect with the past. I believe it's somewhat of a psychedelic. It does make you go to a different state mentally. But obviously, this is not from, I mean, my culture. Use caution and also like, don't appropriate like that's what the show does all the time where it's just like oh here's this thing from Africa mainly but also from other places let's just misuse it in the episode yeah totally 
I linked a scientific article because I feel like when these things are used often by white people, um, we, first of all, don't acknowledge the history and don't respect it. And there's a really cool article I linked that's a scientific one. And it, it was calling out the lack of study of this and the effects on people, a neglected area of ethnobotanical research which I just thought was a really great way to kind of sum it up. Yeah, for sure. No, I think like because of the way that white people just decide to take over everything, there really is a lot of neglect to, you know, the the history of scientific research outside of, you know, Western science. Like I think a lot about how and the United States, like Chinese medicine, for example, like traditional Chinese medicine is treated like it's this ridiculous backwards thing. But like when Europeans were rolling around in the mud and painting our faces blue and whatever, um, <laughs> like the Chinese were having like actual society and like, <laughs> and you know, like bathing. Right. And um, but like really like botany in particular is the reason why I I bring them up because like their culture around the cultivation of plants and understanding how they work with the body should be treated with so much respect, but it just isn't. And I feel like this same idea is relevant here. Yeah, we treat it as like mystical and like almost aggrandize it in a way that's just like, oh, this thing's so weird and strange um, in an offensive way, but then also never research it. So it's kind of a duality. Like we just fail in multiple ways when we look at these things. Right, right. Exactly. Like, I think it's fine to be like, oh, this spooky magical plant, but First off, we need to treat it like a, a real thing that's used for real spiritual and scientific reasons. And then we also, you know, ought to look at our own plants and whatever in the same way. Like, I don't see people, you know, talking about, I don't know, what is, what's a good one? Rosemary. Rosemary is a good one. Yeah. That one is, has a lot of practical and magical uses and it's not treated like a spooky plant guess why (laughs) but anyway thank you for sharing with that with us ali yeah thanks for listening always always so happy to listen all of that aside i do really love the idea of them utilizing a plant to dreamwalk and the idea that over time this plant like the extended and repeated use of it can give you magical powers and I'm very tickled by the idea of brewing it like a fucking Harry Potter ass polyjuice potion (laughs) yep (laughs) that was amazing and actually that's one way to consume it is to like mix it into a drink Oh, yeah. No, totally. I totally believe that. I mean, a lot of psychedelic plants are consumed that way. Mushrooms, for one. True. This uh, next scene where Sam has the the sex dream about Bella. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, Cringe. Yeah. I think, though, first off, we're supposed to find it cringy, or at least we're supposed to find his behavior afterwards cringy. Yeah. And I actually in the grand scheme of the episode, like this scene and the way it adds to the idea that everyone has things that they want to keep private. 
I think that's important to like sort of level the playing fields between the three of them, because obviously like Dean, the things in his head, he doesn't want Sam to see them at all. And there's that sort of cool down moment between Dean and Bobby where they're sort of like awkwardly navigating how to talk about the fact that this big life secret has come out that Bobby hadn't really wanted to talk about previously. So it, I, I like that it balances out the episode. Like Sam has things too. Like he's not perfect. I hated this. And it's for, it's actually for the exact same reason as you, but just kind of expanding on a different aspect of it. Uh It's just, again, we're kind of like detrimenting Sam's character to uplift Dean's because this scene, in my opinion, is meant to completely juxtapose when they go into the dream world in the end of the episode and Dean sees, is her name Lisa, I think? Lisa, yeah. And it shows this like hidden desire for him to like actually have a family where Dean is like portrayed more as a horn dog. And what I'm reading into this is that Sam puts on this act of like being a little more like upstanding, but he's secretly just a horn dog. And I do like the idea of playing with this, but I just thought it was kind of like, like, why are we just shitting all over Sam this episode? I actually, I, I get I get that read and I totally, I, I don't disagree with it, but I, um, I think the angle that I'm coming at it is a little different and it's less focused on how it's saying that actually we don't understand Sam, but trying to surprise us more with Dean's. So like, as opposed to being like, oh, big reveals, Sam is gross and horny. It's like, oh, you expect Dean to be the one with the gross horny dream but actually what he really wants is this domestic normal life with like a wife and a kid so so like I get it but also like I don't know I can't really (laughs) I don't feel that like weird about like sex dreams are weird Okay, like that's the other thing. I I don't really begrudge them portraying the sex dream the way they do because they're always gross and cringy and embarrassing, like no matter what kind of person you are during the day. So, oh, yeah. And like, of course, sexual attraction is not like anything to be ashamed of either. Mm -hmm. I just wish that they had, again, had this just a little more nuance to it, just like the scene earlier with the conversation. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I liked learning that Dean wants to fuck Brad Pitt. So that was fun. Oh my fucking God. Yes. Fucking idiot, man. What is the matter with him? Like, of course, if it's not Angelina, it must be Brad. I just, <laughs> Dean. <laughs> I like how that's how Dean's mind works. Yeah, of course. He also looked so hopeful that it would be Brad Pitt. (laughs) Yeah, he really, God, he's just so loud, you know? (laughs) Like, of course, Sam and literally everyone else, like, clock him constantly. Yep. Yeah. It's funny to me that it's leaving Bella out of the dream that sort of fucks them over with her taking the cult. (laughs) Because she had plenty of time to figure out the, the safe while they were knocked out i'm um, just like oh honey also it felt like a, a time where she was trying to reach out 
like oh do you want me to be a part of this um yeah. and so they turned her down so I'm kind of like yeah steal that cult Bella yeah no I, and it's interesting to me because arguably she's the most private out of all of the four characters that are highlighted in this episode and, and it's emphasized over and over again how like dreamwalking is an invasion of of that privacy but she's like very willing and almost excited to do this crazy thing with them yeah I feel bad I feel bad about it I'm like oh she's trying to hang out yeah, absolutely. Especially because, like, it seems like she doesn't get a lot of people from her world outside of, like, a business exchange. Right. I would have liked to have seen her come along through for this episode. Yeah, what's going on in that noggin? Yeah, exactly. Actually would have been a really good way to, because we still, at this point, over halfway through the season, know literally almost nothing about Bella. Right. Except for that she's, like, kind of a fun bitch right we know about her behavior and we can anticipate what she'll do but we don't really know anything about her life like we know more about a literal demon (laughs) i I literally think the only thing they've alluded to is her possibly having like also daddy issues yeah during red sky at morning dean's like haha you have daddy issues like 12 times so that it drills into our head that she has daddy issues (laughs) yep So just a brief note, because Dean keeps talking about his psychedelic experiences. I love that he makes the joke about the dark side of Oz right before they go into the dream. Have y'all ever done that? No. You sync up dark side of the moon and the wizard of Oz. Oh, actually, yes. I can't believe I said no to that because I went to a stage production of wizard of Oz where they played the full dark side of the moon. Oh, that's so cool. Yes. See, I've done that, but I've done it sober. And I thought it was really cool sober. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, here we enter Bobby's dream. I love that they like wake up in the dream and they do the exact thing that people always do when they're tripping. They're like, do you feel anything? No, you, no. (laughs) And then they're all of a sudden they're like, whoa, (laughs) this isn't normal. It's kind of fun too that the beginning the intro of this episode it was so chaotic with bobby and then they enter this world and there's like nothing happening it's very eerie well i mean it's not their dream and i do i love that as well like there's so much interesting visual information especially in like the contrast between things like the inside of the house versus the outside of the house like so how things look versus how you feel um, in your psyche and like you know the incongruity of like this happy suburban life versus like your traumatic experience with your spouse or whatever yeah. I just I think it's very very smart once again kudos to set design people they split the party oh you never split the party never uh Sam 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 and so of course he gets locked out uh, I love the pacing of this whole sequence, like the the way Sam is just sort of like wandering around being like, I don't know what's going on. And yeah. Dean trying to talk some sense into Bobby. I don't know if I like it because it removes Sam from the scene and like the emotional tension too, even more than before. You think? Like, it, it, to me, it just feels like Sam misses all the important developments sometimes. Yeah, I think there's something separate going on here, though, which is that by placing Sam with Jeremy, not just this time, but in the next dream, too, 
um, we're sort of positioning him as the one that has like the the power here. And I feel like not to get ahead once again, but to then have Bobby ask him if it had anything to do with his psychic abilities on top of that already gives us the sense that like Sam is able to do more within this realm than Dean. Oh yeah, that makes sense. And and I understand too what you're saying. Like I think it's it is odd how Dean is put directly with Bobby so much in this episode. Like it, and it's not as if Sam's life wasn't bettered or influenced by Bobby as well. So I, like it does kind of come off like the Dean Bobby relationship is more important than the Sam Bobby one. Well, what was kind of interesting to me is throughout this whole episode, like this is the first real character development we got from Bobby. That's not just revealing who he is. Like he's actually right. growing and changing as a person and all of like his narrative, even though we're learning about his past is still based around his relationship with Dean and giving us a peek into that. Right. So within a Bobby episode, we're still kind of uplifting Dean. Right. For sure. But I've, I do like it. Bobby and Dean are great in this episode. Yeah. And I think it's really important for, um, you know, the conversation around fatherhood that Dean has these moments with Bobby, like him literally saying, you're like a father to me. And yeah. then Bobby's like, you know, comfortability sharing the stuff about his past or at least acknowledging it to Dean specifically um because of their relationship is it's good it's good (laughs) i feel like good doesn't really begin to explain how i feel about it but once again i'm bad at explaining when i like things and much better at critiquing (laughs) it was kind of fun too that uh we kind of learned how to deal with the dreams too because you know dean convinces bobby to pull himself out of it so we're going in with more information as a viewer Oh, and the way they pull out of it, too, is so intense. Like, I love, like, first, like, Bobby has to, like, practice, you know, he gets rid of his screaming chimpanzee wife. And, And then, like, the timing of Bobby waking them all up, like, right before Jeremy is about to kill Sam, and then, like, they're sitting up real fast in the gasp. It's just so, like, oh, I love it. Yeah. Let's talk about Dean's dream. Yes. We've already covered the Lisa picnic thing, but just to like briefly summarize what that's doing other than contrasting with our expectations that he would have like some sort of horny fantasy are uh, revealing that what he wants are domesticity, family stability, and also, and I think importantly, because you almost never hear anyone say this to Dean, the desire to be loved. I think it's so significant that she says, I love you here. It's heartbreaking that this is like what he wants so much and what he dreams of. And like mm-hmm. when he when he was telling Sam, like, I don't know if I want you in there, it felt a lot more lighthearted before right. you realize why. Right, right, exactly. Like there's this implication that like, oh, Sam might see some weird kinky dream, but it's not like that at all. If anything, um, I feel like Dean would want Sam to see like a weird tentacle dream because Dean kind of uses sexuality to hide his true feelings in a way that I feel a lot of people I personally have known do. Yeah, he like plays it up in order to downplay any sort of emotional vulnerability. (laughs) 
I chuckle at myself here. Anyway, I also just love, I love the transition right after that into like the motel hallway. Oh, if there was ever going to be a maze in Dean's mind, it would be a motel. And I just love that. Like it blends the idea of the woods where they start with the hallway itself. And like on top of that, um, I, I don't know how much y'all know about like, you know, supposed dream symbology and stuff. But I've always been told that if you dream about a house, it's about your childhood, you know, especially if, if it's like a home. But like Dean didn't really have one. His his homes, his house was always like a motel room. <laughs> so it just seems so perfect to me that like, of course, it would just be like a fucking motel hallway that he would appear in, in like a subconscious state. I don't know. Absolutely. They just did it so well, blending that outside into the motel room. It's almost right. like Dean was summoning his unconscious feelings. Right. And then um, when we come in, and honestly, I was fully expecting to find Jeffrey Dean Morgan here. Um, but I actually really like that it was just Bizarro Dean. Yeah. I think having it actually be his dad would have been too much. But there's something about like the embodiment of all of Dean's negative emotions about himself being there that just feels so much more impactful. Yeah, I 100% agree. As a viewer, this whole scene was kind of vindicating too, because it's like, yeah, it was really good. Because like the things that we've talked about with Dean, like he's actually addressing in this scene. Right. It's it feels so good when he finally is like, I didn't deserve what he put on me and I don't deserve to go to hell. Like right before he shoots the the demon version of himself. I'm like, oh, yes, sweetie. I just want to smooch his little cheeks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was really interested in like why the woods transform into home his home too. And I think it's yeah. a lot about like and by his home, I mean motels in general. Right, right, right. But, right. I think it's a lot about like how he's been running from this, but it's at the core of himself and his fears. Right. Like it feels very much like the red room in um, Haunting of Hill House. Sure. Like it's almost inescapable when it's something you like continue to push down. And I also really liked how the motel room transforms because it's almost like the eyes, both of the peacocks and cranes, but also like on their tails, like it's this overwhelming sensation of being watched and like seeing himself for the first time or like it's seeing what he's been avoiding seeing in himself yeah yeah exactly it was i love how the staging acts as a wake-up call along with like the actual content of the scene right totally I really agree. And then also, I don't know, Allie, you haven't watched Twin Peaks, but you talk about being reminded of the Red Room in Haunting of Hill House. I really, I couldn't stop thinking about the Black Lodge from Twin Peaks, actually. And I think um, maybe it's because of the way Jensen does the Demon Dean. It really reminds me of Cooper in the end of season two of uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Oh my God, Jordan, I knew you would get what I meant, but it's, there's just something so like, I can see Kyle McLaughlin, like, you know, banging his head into the mirror. That was like one of the first things I thought of um, watching this scene when I was prepping for the episode. There's like a high strangeness almost to it, which is really appropriate for a dream space. Yeah, absolutely. And like, without telling you that it's a tea that sends you to the dream, like someone else's dream, Mm -hmm. I could see Twin Peaks having that in Twin Peaks. 
right no totally well it helps that like in the i think in episode one or if not in episode one and episode two they have the thing where coop had like dreamed about like a letter or whatever he learned about like the dream method of detective work when he was in tibet or something i don't know there's just um i can i can feel the influence of like that kind of media here for sure But also I just, and I think it's so funny how we're always clowning on John being injected into Dean's life through these symbols all the time. And then like the alternate, the bizarro Dean is like bringing all that stuff up too. So it's it's like y'all were saying, like it truly is so vindicating as an audience member because like his alter ego is like pointing out all of the things that we see that he really needs to have yelled at him. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It also shows an intention from the writer's room, which I wasn't sure that we had. So it felt very good. Yeah. I love the line, my dad was an obsessed bastard. That's, I think, one of the standouts from this because he never says anything bad about his dad. Honestly, that's a nice way to put it too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then it's like when the Bizarro Dean is like saying how like dad loves Sam and not him and like all this stuff i think back again to um the season finale of season one like all that same stuff uh, is what azazel was saying to him in that cabin like about how sam was preferred and like i i just really love that we're highlighting that dean does introspect and like he thinks about these things and he's not just like a complete clown all the time. I mean, we knew that. We knew that. But his facade is just very strong. Yeah, absolutely. I My only critique at this point is like, God, this episode could have come so much earlier in the series. That's true. And um, that's not including the Bella stuff. I think that is, I, I mean, I can't, I don't have a strong pin on it yet, but it seems like that's timed pretty well. Yeah. I'm kind of torn up about that because I I would love to see a moment of clarity like this for Dean way sooner. But I think like his shit with his dad is really the root of his self-hatred. And the self-hatred is the root of his not wanting to figure out the the demon deal. So, um, you know, we can't have him resolve his shit with his dad too soon because it undermines the narrative arc of the demon deal, I I think is the main thing. And I do enjoy the sort of long haul experience of like, Dean's emotions while coming to terms with the fact that he might have to die where he's sort of like flippant and stupid in the beginning of the season and now we get here where he's admitting to being terrified yeah it is nice to see you're right I think the timing of it is actually really well done I think there's just a lot of fat in between all of these important moments sure but now that we're here it does feel really nice did we have any notes about Sam's experience in the stream world yeah, so so my thoughts were on the one hand, we sort of get a better look at Jeremy here because Bobby told us somewhat about Jeremy, like he's a genius and he had a bad relationship with his dad or whatever. But like in this space, he has control and and Sam uses that against Jeremy. That's how he he kills Jeremy with this vision of Jeremy's dad. And I think 
the idea of Jeremy's dad, like this super abusive guy is meant to sort of be like the end cap, like the other end of the, the spectrum with the fatherhood going on here. Cause we got the Bobby and the John, and then we have this guy, like, this is how bad it can get for you. If your father is not there for you in multiple ways, it's just so crazy to me because I fully believe that I mean, other than like the physical abuse of letting his kids go hungry, like I do fully believe based on the text uh, later in the series that John was physically abusive with them as well. And I I wonder about this moment and, and if we're supposed to be like, well, it could have been worse or like what we're supposed to take away from that. It's a big question mark for me. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? I was a little frustrated because... I almost was like, maybe if they have these scenes and like ordered differently, but it was just kind of like someone having it worse does not diminish whatever you went through. And the fact that we finally got some vindication, like we were talking about earlier with John, and then now we're just kind of underlying that. Well, like, well, John could have been worse. I'm like, make up your damn mind. What are we supposed to think? Yeah, no, totally. I also am really reminded here of that episode of Buffy. Do you remember where she goes into uh, they're like in a nightmare world? It's like a kid projecting a dream over the town. Oh, yes. And they they bust him out by getting rid of the monster, which is like the coach who had hit him with the baseball bat. I think I, I think part of that was like the imagery of the baseball bat itself because Jeremy had one. Yeah. But it was like this this angry adult man in your life kind of thing. This is a great episode for people who like TV, I gotta say. Very referential. But on top of that, the main thing that interested me about this end portion with Sam, kind of like I mentioned before, is like this question of is his ability to control the dream related to some innate ability within Sam? Like Bobby asks him if it had anything to do with the psychic stuff. And he's like, I don't think so. You know, it's a question because like we know from earlier in the episode that the drug can cause you over time to have more control over dreams, but he's only taken it twice, whereas Jeremy me has taken it like a lot a lot so there's like sort of a question there and I think it's reinforced by the fact that unlike in Bobby's nightmare um, where Bobby busted himself out that's how they got out of the dream this was Dean's dream this was Dean's nightmare so it should have followed that Dean got them out but actually Sam did which I thought was very like it was sort of brushed over yeah I, I find that that little bit at the end very compelling. It's kind of funny because I've complained this whole episode about kind of how they forget Sam's internal dialogue sometimes and like at the expense yeah. of other characters. But this was cool building. I just hope they don't waste yeah. it like they have in the past. Sure. Yeah. The penultimate scene is about Bella. It was so sad. Yeah. I wanted, yeah. I really like Bella. Yeah. She fucking she stole the cult. She stole it. She took it. I'm interested in this um, idea of like the thing in Flagstaff or whatever that came up a few times. Well, I thought the Flagstaff thing was supposed to be like a joke that like she didn't actually know Bobby, but she did it. So they trust her enough to help them when they really needed it. I thought her and Bobby had that agreement. I like how this leaves it very like questioning. Like I feel like they don't leave it open-ended enough um, sometimes by really like how they leave her intentions here um, because we're set up to think that Bobby did save her life. And while they did have an interaction in Flagstaff, it's nothing to the amount that she 
had alluded to. So I really like leaving it this open and then kind of hoping that's answered by the end of the season. Right. I have thoughts about it. I I wonder if it can't both be true that he did save her life and that he just remembers it as I just gave her a good deal on an amulet. We know how much stock she places in um, magical items. Like I'm thinking back to her interactions with Gordon and like how she was like, I'll fucking whatever. I'll call them. Give me your mojo bag in fresh blood. So I wonder if it couldn't both both of those things be true but uh, like she did definitely use that to gain their trust because she knows how much they care about bobby for sure yeah no that's a really good point i didn't even think about the implications of actually buying a magical item and what that magical item could do for her yeah because she like we know she sells a lot of things but she does keep a lot of things like we saw her apartment and it's like full of stuff i don't know i i wonder about that that makes a lot of sense I have a feeling Flagstaff's not going to come back up. I'll just tell you now it doesn't. Okay. (laughs) It doesn't. (laughs) It would be interesting to explore for sure. Yeah. No, it would. That is the stuff of fanfic, my friend. Yeah. Someone write it. I want it. That could be a missing scene fic very easily. Maybe I'll write it. I like that. Do it. And then the final scene. Yeah. Oh, I'll let you take the lead. I know this this is an emotional scene. Yeah. Oh, Dean, he finally admits he doesn't want to die and go to hell. I just, poor little sweetie pie. I was just concerned this would count as breaking his deal. Like, I'm so concerned about him saying anything. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big part of the big reason why he didn't want to talk about it either um, for this whole season. And it's less even about the deal itself, but just... (sighs) The fact that, like, he has summoned up enough self-worth to care about it at all, you know? It's also a pretty big moment for this, like, season, too, because we spent so much time with the narrative that Dean doesn't care about himself and that Sam has been wanting to try and get him to feel something to the point where in this episode up until this point, Sam has completely given up. He has thrown in the town. He's like, you don't care. I can't care. Right. So now that we've we've gotten to this point, I'm really excited to see what Dean's trajectory is going to be like in these final six episodes. Right. And I think to pair with the idea that Sam has done everything he could and um, has given up, it really emphasizes the fact that like you can't make someone care about themselves as much as you care about them. And also that Dean had to figure out that he wanted to save himself on his own, like nothing anyone else said was going to do anything like this was something that needed to be resolved internally like almost entirely i think it's notable that he was alone um with himself in the scene where he decided that i really like in tv shows when something in the plot like forces a character to be introspective in a way they had it before or had to allow themselves to so i thought this episode was very successful in totally agree My very last thing to say about the episode itself, I love the little stinger at the end of the black and white demon Dean. I think it's so fun. He does like the little finger snap and that's when the credits roll. I love it. I wasn't sure if you guys would like it because it is very like it is pretty cheesy and it does kind of break the fourth wall a little, but I just find it really fun. I don't know. No, it's so fun. I loved it. 
Well, I think that means we're ready for the fanfic. I'm very excited for my fanfic segment today. Yeah, whenever you like an episode, it makes me more excited to see what you're going to pick for it. It was actually really hard to find things. I thought a lot about what to come up with for this. At first, I thought it would be really funny to like low-key troll y'all and pick a Bella Sam fic. Oh, goodness. Um, Which, by the way, I actually don't hate the idea of that pairing. It kind of compels me for some reason. I don't, I couldn't say why, but get this. Okay, there's only 62 fics with that tag. For real? For real. Only 62. I would have guessed like 10 times that many. Yeah, right? You would think that, but no. I think it's just because Bella is not a popular character. So then my next route was to say, well, what if I did Demon Dean? Yes. (laughs) And I actually have two that I linked this week because there were so many characters and ideas that you could play with from this episode, like the concepts around like how to save Dean and like what he wants. And, but on top of that, all the ideas about like trauma and parenting and everything, um, they were all just very interesting. I ultimately could not decide. And part of the decision to go with not a demon Dean fic, which I didn't do, sorry, uh, was because so much of it was like AUs with Demon Dean and Priest Cass. And I was just like, for some reason, this just really doesn't do it for me. <laughs> you would right. think that would I would be all over that, but I, I'm just like, I, it does not compel me. Okay, so the first one I picked is titled 1989. It's by AO3 user Priceless Trash Panda. Summary, following a hunt that ends in flames, 10-year-old Dean returns to the silence of months immediately following his mother's death. Frustrated and unwilling to be bothered with what he sees as his older son's stubbornness, John dumps both boys off at Bobby's, and Bobby struggles to figure out exactly what's going on inside Dean's mind. Obviously, this is not a slash fic. (laughs) It's rated T. Characters are Bobby, Dean, and Sam. Very briefly, John is in it. Additional tags include PTSD, trauma, abuse of John Winchester, John Winchester's A-plus parenting, mute Dean, selectively mute Dean, parental Bobby Singer, Dean needs a hug, hurt Dean, emotionally hurt Dean. (laughs) These fucking tags. (laughs) Protective Bobby Singer, awesome Bobby Singer, soft Bobby, POV Bobby, Bobby Singer's house. I just, just more stuff about Dean being sad and John sucking. All of the tags are like that. This is part of a series called Where Do You Think You're Going? This particular fic is only about 2,400 words long. So it's relatively short. And I read through it and honestly really enjoyed it. I really like the idea of exploring all the conversations that Bobby had had with John. Oh, I almost forgot his name. That felt good. Um, <laughs> All of the conversations that Bobby had had with John about his parenting while the boys were not there. That's something I'm very interested in. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I really love when Bobby pops up in fic because like invariably he just is, you know, there to go to bat for both Dean and Sam um, and to support them in ways that like their own biological dad does not. 
you know, I, and I love that that is actually a reflection of canon. I just love Bobby so much. <laughs> yeah, even in this episode, which is awesome. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the second one I picked is actually a season three AU, which I thought was fun, considering that you don't really see too many of those being written now. And this is relatively recent, although the last time it was updated was uh, about a year ago. This fic is called There's Always a Choice by AO3 user Random Fills. The summary is, Sam has been desperate for a solution to Dean's deal coming due in just a few months now. When the boys catch a case where weird things have been happening to local townspeople in a small town in Indiana, he thinks maybe making a deal with a rogue fae could be the end-all solution they've been looking for. Except it's not that simple. They may have bitten off too much for them to chew this time, and Dean ends up paying the ultimate price, especially when one of the Fae takes a little bit too much interest in him. Mm. This one is rated E, and there are archive warnings for graphic depictions of violence and rape on here, so tread carefully, my friends. The slash is with Dean and an original male character and with others vaguely it doesn't really say characters include dean sam original male and female characters and oberon (laughs) tags are season three dean's deal desperate sam protective sam hurt dean dean wump fairies case fic obsession dark also slavery fey and fairies loosely inspired by the episode clap your hands if you believe and set before dream a little dream of me and before the mystery spot extension of the canon lore on Faye, canon divergence and alternating pov um including deans this one is about 13 thousand words okay so not super long no um yeah no that's pretty short you can sit down and read all of it in one go eight chapters not finished but I thought it was really interesting that they took inspiration from like a seriously cracky episode, like clap your hands if you believe. And um, they were like, wait, but what if we made it really fucking dark? Uh, Especially when the content has to do with the Fae, because the Fae, you know, vacillates in media between being very light and very dark uh, in its presentation. Is this an episode I've seen yet? No, it is not. Okay. It's way later. Gosh, I think Clap Your Hands If You Believe is like season eight or nine or something. I'm very excited. I love anything Faye related. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy that episode when we eventually get to it. And that is all I got for today. So I guess that means it's time for us to rate the episode. You first. I'm going to give it a 4.5 out of 5. Mm-hmm. 4.5 out of 5 stolen Colts. I really enjoyed it. And I think all of the good just very heavily outweighed the bad. Of course, we we have talked about the positive with Dean and his character growth, his kind of coming to God moments, negatives, a little bit of racism. Um, <laughs> Sorry, it's not funny. I'm just like, here we go again. <laughs> here we go again. I'm not really sure what they're doing with Sam's character in this episode. But yeah, 4.5. What about you, Allie? Yeah, my rating is going to be for the same reason, but it's also going to be how I grade. Like this episode I thought was a good episode. It just wasn't a great episode. 
And because of that, I'm going to give it 90%, which is a 4.5 out of 5. So 4.5 baseball bats. <laughs> what about you, Jasper? I'm going to give it a 4.75 peacock paintings out of five because I just think there's so much detail and texture and intentionality to this episode, both in terms of like the writing and like the physical details of like the set and everything. Like I already mentioned, it's just, yeah, there's just those here and there things that I'm like, oh, come on come on, it'd be so easy to not be racist, but you keep doing it. Y'all need some sensitivity people on set or something. But yeah, I just like, it's so well layered and so visually impactful. And I don't know, Dean is my little meow meow. I'm so happy about his character development in this episode. (laughs) It's hard for me to give it any less than a five. Yeah, I feel that. It was pretty spectacular. Yeah. Okay, Jordan. What do you think? Mm. What do you think is happening next? So I'm just gonna base my predictions around Bella since that's really the only thing we have to go off of. Um, I think mm-hmm. Bella is gonna try and do what Sam did with Dean. I think Bella, we're gonna find out that she was in a demon deal and she is now going to go try and use the gun to get her way out of the deal. Mm -hmm. And that is going to pull her back to the boy's side where she is going to kind of troubleshoot with Dean how to get out of this demon deal since they're both kind of stuck in it together. And I think he will succeed and she will not. So, yep, that's it. Oh, poor Bella. I think that's it. Is that it? That is it. Mm -hmm. That is it. Thanks for tuning in to On the Road with Supernatural. Our theme music was composed by Anthony Ployhar, and special thanks to Sophia Landon for our logo. If you're having fun, hit us up on Tumblr, Instagram, or Twitter at OT for Supernatural, or contact us by email at ontheroadwithsupernatural at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. That's all for today. See you next time in Broward County, Florida. Bye. Bye. Bye.